Okay, we're going through the Old Testament. We're up to 1 Kings chapter 20. So we've been going through 1 Kings. Last time we saw that the Lord had 7,000 prophets in the northern kingdom of Israel. So the Lord still has his remnant of believers there to try and reach the stubborn and rebellious people in the northern kingdom there. So we praise the Lord, you know, that he came after us. Even when we were disobedient and we were rebellious, right, to him. So we're told in God's word, you know, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Don't you thank the Lord that that's the way he is. You know, he loves us despite ourselves. He comes after us even when we're trying to run the other way. So we just praise the Lord that that's what he's like. Well, in our passage today, we're going to see the Lord showing mercy when it is obvious that it definitely was not deserved. Let's jump into 1 Kings chapter 20 and verse 1. Now Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his forces together. Thirty-two kings were with him, with horses and chariots. And he went up and besieged Samaria, and he made war against it. Now, when it tells us here there were these 32 kings, they were, uh, some of them were tribal leaders and from different areas, and it just lets us know that he had a whole lot of forces that he had gathered together, and he was going to come against the northern kingdom of Israel. And it mentions here that they had horses and chariots. And I think we told you this before, when uh, you have chariots back in that day, it's like having tanks. So you've got a, a pretty solid military force here. Uh, when you got that kind of backing there. So his goal was, it says there, he went up and he besieged Samaria, which is the capital of the northern kingdom. So he's coming against them, and he's looking to do some, some damage here. He made war against it. And at this point, Israel, it wasn't strong enough to stand up against these guys, at least not on their own. You know, of course, with God's help, they could stand up to anybody, but they weren't exactly looking for God's help here. So we're, we see these people that are in a very bad position. They're, they're being attacked, and at this point, they're not seeking the Lord for help. So that's a, that's a rough place to be. Uh, look at verse 2. Then he sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, and he said to him, so basically, they've got the place surrounded and how he's going to send in his messengers to deliver his terms here. And here's what, thus says Ben-Hadad. So this is what that evil king says to him. Verse 3, your silver and your gold are mine. Your loveliest wives and children are mine. And notice, <laughs> this guy saying, I don't want all of them. I just want your loveliest ones, Right. As somebody said, maybe he knew about Jezebel and thought, I don't want that one. But, you know, uh, we, we do want, I want the prettiest ones we can come up with, right? Yeah, so this guy's going to be very picky. You're right. So verse 4, and the king of Israel answered, and he said, My lord, O king, just as you say, I and all that I have are yours. So Ahab, he, he gave in to the demand of these guys and Ahab wasn't really a stand-up guy. I mean, we haven't seen him be very valiant, right, as we've been watching him uh, through First Kings here. He was more interested in luxury 
and in leave, uh, living in his easygoing lifestyle with all its comforts that go with it. So we get a good lesson here. You know, we can fall into the same temptation if we're not careful. When a serious situation comes up that really needs our prayers and our attention, we may choose to try and take the easiest way out so we can get back to our normal lifestyle. I mean, in our country, we like comfort. We've just been raised with that and we're used to it. You know, but sometimes the Lord allows these serious situations to come up so he can shake us loose from our normal selfish lifestyle and for us to see beyond ourselves, you know, what is really important. I think Ahab here was telling these guys when he responded to the request, sure, take what you want, just let me get back to doing my own thing. <laughs> I don't think there's much concern in his voice at this point. It's like, all right, all right, whatever will make peace. I don't want to be disturbed by this. I just want to do my thing. So take what you want and go. So verse 5, then the messengers came back and said, thus speaks Ben-Hadad, saying, Indeed, I have sent to you, saying, You shall deliver to me your silver and your gold, your wives and your children. But I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time, and they shall search your house and the houses of your servants, and it shall be that whatever is pleasant in your eyes, they will put it in their hands and take it. Yeah, so when King Ahab agreed so easily to these terms that he originally threw out there, they decided we might even go, we, must, we can go further with this guy. We'll just take everything we can grab. So he's going to send his servants, and you notice here, he said, we're going to go in your houses. We're even going to go in the houses of your servants. I mean, anything that's valuable at all, we're going to take it. So this evil king, Ben-Hadad, he's an interesting guy to keep an eye on. He's kind of a picture of the devil here. If you allow the devil to take an inch, it won't be long before it comes back to take a mile. So be very, very careful because the devil will come and say, hey, let's make a deal. You know, I want a few things out of your life. And uh, if you allow that door to stay open, you're going to be in more and more trouble down the road. So verse 7 goes on here. So the king of Israel called all the elders of the land. So Ahab now realizes, I'm going to need to get some counsel. So he calls his elders together, his leaders, and he said, Notice, please, and see how this man seeks trouble. So he's saying, this guy's the one that's causing problems here. For he sent to me for my wives, my children, my silver, and my gold, and I did not deny him. And all the elders and all the people said to him, Do not listen or consent. So he finally is, is getting some counsel here from his leaders. It, but you know, it would have been better if he sought counsel from the Lord. But we don't see him doing that. So unfortunately, Ahab is not that kind of guy to say, you know what, well, i got a serious problem here. Uh, I'm thankful for these counselors. We need to get together and have a prayer meeting and say, Lord, we need your help. But he doesn't do that. He goes to these guys. Isn't it sad and frustrating when you see someone basically banging their head against the wall rather than seeking help from the God and the king who rules over the entire universe. And of course, we can be there ourselves. We just kind of have a knee-jerk reaction rather than saying, whoa, 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 we need to pray about this. We need to get some folks together and we need to pray. So Ahab's leaders here, they, they could see that if we get in, give in to these huge and crazy demands from Ben-Hadad, 
then there's going to be nothing left of our kingdom or of our society. He's going to come take everything, you know. So you think about this. Do we notice that as our own nation gives in to the demands of the devil, that everything has started to unravel and fall apart? And if that downward spiral continues, there won't be anything left, you know. Remember that history has proven to us that when a society's morals have disintegrated to the point where homosexuality is a normative and accepted lifestyle, then that society ceases to exist within 60 years. History has proven that to us. And I think we crossed that line a long time ago in our country. So we're headed for that down the road. And you can see it happening. I mean, we're just deteriorating. It's falling apart, you know? It's like we're in this house that's collapsing. The floors are getting really weak. So yeah, we, we can see that, why the Lord brings that kind of judgment on folks. So look at verse 9. Therefore he said to the messengers of Ben-Hadad. So he's explained everything to his leaders, and, and I'm sure he told them, now this is the first request, and I thought I might be okay with that, but now he's asking for everything. So he's going to give the answer here now back to ben, uh, Ben-Hadad, that evil ruler from uh, king of Syria. And he says, tell my lord, the king, all that you sent for your, to your servant the first time, I will do. So the first request, I can go with that. But this thing, the second request, I cannot do. And the messengers departed and brought back word to him. Now, rather than tell Ben-Hadad at this point to forget the whole thing, <laughs> you know, Ahab tries to appease him by saying basically, well, we'll do your first request, but not the second, you know. And somehow, Ahab thought that was going to work, you know. But any compromise with the devil never turns out good. Any compromise. And you know that Ben-Hadad, he isn't going to take that response well. I mean, this is like trying to tell the school bully, you know, well, I'll give you part of my lunch money, but I'm not going to give it all to you. How good is that going to go, you know? No. The bully's going to say, oh, well, if you put it that way. Yeah, I didn't know. I don't think so. So verse 10. Then Ben-Hadad sent to him, and he said, The gods do so to me, and more also, if enough dust is left of Samaria, for a handful for each of the people who follow me. So look at this thread he's making. <clears throat> he is saying... By the time we were done with you, I'm going to have such a massive army march through your place, and we're going to take everything that, you know, most of the soldiers aren't going to have anything but a handful of dust to take with them, because we all taken everything. So he's letting them know, you can forget your, your response here, we'll take what we want to take, okay? So Ben-Hadad, he made this threat, and notice what he based it on. He said, the gods do so to me and more also. He's basing this threat on his false gods, all right? And you know, if you're serving, excuse me, if you're serving the living, all-powerful God of Israel, and if you're walking with him, then you don't have to worry about it. When somebody threatens you with their false gods, it's like, okay, you know? But unfortunately... (laughs) Ahab was not serving the God of Israel, so he only had his false gods to rely on. You remember his big god, Baal? False god, too. So 
he's in huge trouble here at this point. He's got nothing either. It's like they're both messing with these false gods and thinking they're going to back them somehow, and there's nothing there. The foolishness of man, huh? Amazing. Verse 11. So the king of Israel answered, and he said, Tell him, this is Ahab talking now to King Adad, let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. Whoa. <laughs> king Ahab had a moment of boldness here for some reason, I'm not sure why, when he, he basically said, you know, you shouldn't boast about being victorious before you even enter the battlefield, but you better wait till after the battle to see if you've got anything to boast about. So he said that amazingly straightforward here. Yeah, so it had been interesting to see old Ben Haddad's face at that point, like, he said what? <laughs> you know, because he's got all these troops. He's like, we got these guys. This is crazy. <clears throat> so verse 13, suddenly a prophet approached Ahab, king of Israel. Man, don't you love this? They're in serious trouble. They need God's help. They haven't asked for it. And I like the way the Lord says this, suddenly. Man, don't you love it when the Lord shows up, when you're in over your head, and you didn't even stop to ask him for help. So suddenly a prophet approached Ahab, king of Israel, and he said this, Thus says the Lord. Like somebody said, when you're in this kind of mess, you want to hear a word from the Lord. You want to hear this, thus says the Lord, okay? And he says, have you seen all this great multitude? And this was a lot of folks coming against him. Behold, I will deliver it into your hand today. Wow, what a promise for the Lord, you know? And you shall know that I am the Lord. I'm Yahweh. I'm the God of Israel, is what he's saying to him. So we, we look at this here in, in verse 12, if you notice that when it happened, when Ben-Hadad heard this message, as he and the kings were drinking at the command post, they said to his servants, get ready, and they got ready to attack the city, okay? <laughs> so in the background here, we've got this Ben-Hadad and his boys, they're so confident in themselves, you know, that they're going to get drunk before the battle. Wow, this, this is amazing to me. That's just what you need, huh? A bunch of drunken leaders just before you're going to head into battle. Uh, I think so. You know, listen, folks, our Lord tells us very clearly in his word to be sober and be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, is walking about as a roaring lion just seeking whom he may devour, okay? And when does the devil do that? When is he walking about? All the time, right? So then how often should we be sober and vigilant? All the time, okay? Yeah, the Lord's going to let us see some things here, and they're not going to be too much fun to see. So the Lord has now given a promise to Ahab through this prophet, no name given to the prophet. It's not about him, it's about the Lord. So the name is not important at this point. And the Lord has said, you can see how huge this army is against you, but I'm going to deliver them into your hand today. And he wants them to know, I'm the Lord. So God sent a prophet here to someone who wasn't looking for one. 
King Ahab. Okay? This shows the amazing kindness and grace of our Lord. I mean, let's think about this. Why is the Lord getting ready to help his people here? I mean, they aren't walking with him, and they don't care to. You know, you don't hear him saying, oh, man, if we could just get saved, we'll make a deal with you, God. We'll, we'll serve you on the other side. They're not even doing that, right? So they obviously don't deserve any help from the Lord at all. And God would be just in allowing them just to be crushed here. You know, and they couldn't even complain about it. Because you could say, well, you never even asked me for help. So what did you expect? But before we get too riled up about this one, we need to remember our own situation. Where were we at spiritually when the Lord sent the gospel message to us? We weren't walking with him, and we probably didn't, weren't concerned about walking with him at that point, right? Yeah. So we need to be thankful, and to me it's just an amazing picture here of how awesome our God is, how much he loves to show mercy to people, you know? The Lord tells us in his word that he desires mercy and not sacrifice. And we're also told that his mercies are new every morning. So the Lord loves to show mercy to people even when they aren't looking for it. Now guys, this should be such an encouragement to us to pray. You know, as Rich encouraged us, pray. I know sometimes we think, I'm praying, I don't see anything, Lord. I don't see anything going on at all. But I want you to know here, God's more concerned about those people than you and I are. And he's going after them, and he's working in their life. And he's sending a prophet here and there. He's trying to reach him. Why? Because he loves to show mercy. I mean, we're wanting to see our loved ones get rescued, right? Because we know where they're headed if they don't come to Christ. But the Lord, he loves to show mercy. He wants to get them in his kingdom too. I wonder if we can truly understand how merciful God really is. He really is serious when he says that he desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He really means that, you know? I mean, you think about Ahab and Israel at this point. They were fully into idolatry. They had completely turned their back on God, and they knew about him. They turned their back on him. So they deserved God's judgment, not God's help. But because God loves to show mercy, that's what he's going to do right here. Isn't that amazing? So when the Lord tells them that he wants them to know that he is the Lord, the true God of Israel, this wasn't even the first time that he told them that, right? I mean, he demonstrated that before when he had Elijah call down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel. And it was there that he showed himself strong over the false god Baal. But sadly, even with the second round of evidence for King Ahab and for Israel, they still refused to come back to the Lord. Wow. So you wonder, how many times does the Lord give people evidence of his existence by performing miraculous events in their lives, like he's going to do right here, in order to try to reach them and save them? And yet the hardness of man's heart will keep him resisting God rather than humbly accepting God into his or her life. Wow, like I said, some hard lessons in this passage here. Verse 14. So Ahab, he's, he's 
he's excited now about the Lord telling him, I'm going to give you total victory here, man, and it will be today. <laughs> so Ahab says, by whom? <laughs> and he said, here's the answer he's going to get on that. Thus says the Lord, by the young leaders of the providences. Then he said, well, who will set the battle in order? And he answered, you. Then he mustered the young leaders of the provinces, and there were 232. And after them, he mustered all the people, all the children of Israel, 7,000. So Ahab here, King Ahab of Israel, he says, by whom? Meaning, who are you going to use to pull off this miraculous victory? Because he knows this is a, isn't really the way it's supposed to be here. We're in real trouble. He knew that he was no powerful military leader, and he knew his army wasn't large enough or strong enough to survive, much less gain a victory over this huge force that was coming against them. I mean, from what we know in the, the time element here, they had just gone through this, this famine. You know, God had ended the famine, but that's got to weaken your people. You know, when you've got to try to find food, you've got to try, try to find water and everything, and that's a, a, a day's work just to try to do that, much less to say, come on, guys, get the troops together. We need to get, get in shape here and stuff. They're like... Are you kidding? You know? So you've got a weakened military force. And like I said, he knows King Ab's like, I'm not really the military leader here, okay? So by rights here, Israel was so severely outnumbered that they didn't stand a chance against these powerful enemies. But the Lord responded to Ahab's question, you know, by saying, well, I'm going to use you guys. <laughs> and we see this principle here, because I'm sure Ahab was like, aren't you going to send some more armies or something to back us, you know? You're going to use just us? Are you sure that's enough? Maybe we need to rethink this, you know? But here's the, here's the principle. The Lord loves to bring victory through weakness. He loves to do that. So if you think you're not the right person for the job when the Lord taps you on the shoulder and says, I want you to do this, and you're thinking, I'm not the right person, guess what? You're not, <laughs> at least not on your own. But if God is working through you, then you can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Yeah. And when the Lord said, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'd love to see the, the look on Ahab's face when the Lord has given him this Great information here. But the Lord said, I'm going to use the young leaders. What? <laughs> I mean, they're young and they don't have experience, right? It's not like we're talking about King David's seasoned men. And besides, when you do the head count, there's only 232 of them. That's not a lot, you know? What good are they against an army of thousands and thousands that are standing out there? And then when they gather all the soldiers of Israel together, thinking maybe this will encourage us, we'll get all the guys together, there were only 7,000. Man, you guys are in big trouble. But not if the Lord is on your side. You know, boy, guys, I hope we get this. Numbers don't matter. And it's not about the finances. And it's not even about intellect or power. If the Lord is leading and we are following, then we're going to see the Lord give us the victory. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And I think we need to constantly be reminded of that. I know I do. I need to continually hear that. 
Because sometimes we start looking around and saying, wait a minute, Lord. And the Lord's like, what are you looking at? Numbers don't matter. You know, it's not about finance. It's not about any of this stuff. And they're like, wisdom, power, forget all that. It's by my spirit, all right? So verse 16 goes on. So they went out at noon. Meanwhile, and, and noon was not the normal time to start a fight, by the way. You would start that in the morning when your guys are fresh and they're ready to go. So at noon, they go out. Meanwhile, Ben-Hadad and the 32 kings helping him were, were sharpening all their, their instruments of war, right? No. They were getting drunk at the command post. So all of their leaders were getting drunk and the battle was starting. And did you notice they started drinking before noon? Because the Lord tells us this is the same day. Wow. Do you see how foolish this looks? You know, do you see why the Lord tells us to be sober and vigilant? I hope the Lord reminds us about this passage the next time a believer in our culture even thinks about having an alcoholic beverage, you know, just to relax or get a little buzz on or to feel better or whatever selfish reason they want to come up with. Can we see how foolish it is when warfare is coming at us and our enemy, the devil, is relentless and here we are, we've left our guard down. Wow. Man, these passages, I hope the Lord shakes us awake, right? Verse 17, the young leaders of the provinces went out first. So they followed the Lord's direction and guidance, and we love to see that. I mean, I don't know what, ben, what uh, Ahab was thinking. He might have been thinking, I don't know, send out the young leaders? Are you sure? But he did it. He did what the Lord told him. So the young leaders of the provinces went out first, and Ben-Hadad sent out a patrol. And they told him, saying, men are coming out of Samaria. So he's warned, there's actually troops coming at us, you know? And in verse 18, so he said, if they come out for peace, take them alive. And if they come out for war, take them alive. I mean, you think about Ben-Hadad's orders, take them alive? <laughs> I think these orders were slurred from his drunken lips, and I'm not sure that he knew what he was saying. I mean, had he been sober, I think he would have said, kill them, kill all of them, you know? I mean, you usually don't go into battle with the goal of keeping your enemy alive, right? I mean, usually you want to kill the enemy so he doesn't come back and kill you later on. So these were confusing orders at best, given by a drunken leader. Wow, how'd you like to be those troops in the front of the line going, whoa, what are we doing, right? So verse 19, then these young leaders of the province went out of the city with the army which followed them, doing exactly what the Lord said, and each one killed his man. So the Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them, and Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, escaped in a horse with the cavalry. So here, the, leaders, the young leaders, they went out and did what they are supposed to, and if we were watching this from overhead or something, seeing this, Every soldier they went up to, they took him out. Every one of them got his man. And when the Syrians saw that, they fled. Of course, it was the Lord working here, putting this fear in the heart of the army of the Syrians, and they ran. And even the, the king, evil king Ben-Hadad here with his, his uh, cockiness and everything else, he escaped on a horse with the cavalry. So 
He, he's got his, what he thinks are his bodyguards behind, behind him, excuse me, so he thinks he's doing pretty good. Then the king of Israel went out and attacked the horses and chariots and killed the Syrians with a great slaughter. This is just a small group of folks compared to who they were fighting. So the Lord gave Israel a miraculous victory. They were severely outnumbered, but they had the Lord. And that's all you need, right? So verse 22 goes on here. And the prophet came to the king of Israel. Here's that prophet again. Good to see you, bud. And he said to him, go strengthen yourself. Take note and see what you should do. For in the spring of the year, the king of Syria will come up against you. Now, this is kind of amazing here. Can you imagine getting this kind of intel? <laughs> that there's another battle, and I can tell you exactly when they're coming, and you need to get ready. You might want to take some notes. You know, what could we have done better? What do we need to strengthen? How can we prepare for this? And, you know, obviously the first note on the list should be pray. I don't think they did that, but that's what it should be. So the Lord warned them here to prepare themselves because there's another battle coming down the road for them. And it's the same tough army. And you know what? There's going to be more spiritual battles down the road for us too. So stay alert. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And put on the armor of the Lord and keep it on. So verse 23 goes on. Then the servants of the king of Syria said to him, so it's interesting, somebody said uh, Ahab was getting some counsel from the Lord and the, uh, the evil king of Syria, he's getting some counsel too from his servants, but it's not too good. <laughs> so look what they said. Here's what they figured out, these smart fellows here. Their gods are gods of the hill. So they're talking about Israel. Saying, I, I know why we lost the battle. I figured this out. Their gods are gods of the hills. Therefore, they were stronger than we. But if we fight against them in the plain, surely we will be stronger than they. So do this thing. Dismiss the kings, each from his position, and put captains in their places. So back in their time period, you know, it was normal that they would think that, that gods or false gods were, were limited. They had their own local area, their own specialty, and they might have thought, you know, we don't have the most powerful gods on the hills, but... But we really have to fight them on the plane because that's where our, our gods are stronger. And we must have just ran into their gods on a bad day when they had all their stuff going. So uh, they mistakenly thought the God of Israel must be like that too. All right. Now, what's interesting too in verse 24, they said, dismiss the kings. We don't need those guys anymore. It's like we don't need the politicians here. But put captains in their places. We want real military leaders this time. All right. So they're trying to cover all their bases. They can... We got to sharpen up a little bit here and not be maybe as cocky as last time. Well, we're going to have to make some changes, but this time we're definitely going to take these guys. So verse 25, and you shall muster an army like the army you have lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot. So get that whole strong force going. Then we will fight against them in the plain. See, they think that they're going to beat beaten the God of Israel because he must not be strong in the plain. Surely we will be stronger than they. And he listened to their voice, and he did so, okay? They didn't understand that the God of Israel was all-powerful in every place imaginable, <laughs> okay? So in the same way, 
lost man comes up with his own faulty ideas about what God is like, you know? A lost person doesn't really understand how powerful or how wise or how infinitely complex God really is. You know, I mean, we, we've come to know the Lord, but we know we'll never figure out everything about the Lord, right? His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He's so high above us, right? A lost person, they think they've got God figured out, right? They got God in this little bitty box, in this little bitty. So there are people you talk to in our own time period who think that God is severely limited, you know? They got their own ideas about what's coming in the future. I'll get my second chance when I get it, you know? And, and based on what they think, that's what they're acting upon, right? So that's what these guys in our passage did. They concluded the God of Israel was limited, just like their little gods are. So that's what they were acting on. And to them, it made sense to fight Israel in the plain because they thought Israel's God could only help them if they fought in the hills. Well, they were about to find out that they were acting on faulty theology, and faulty theology was going to get them destroyed. You know, such faulty theology about the true and living God that we serve can be just as dangerous. Verse 26, so it was in the spring of the year that Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And that was a plain area, so they did what they said they were going to do. And the children of Israel were mustered and given provisions. They were ready to go. And they went against them. Now the children of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats, while the Syrians filled the countryside. Yeah, so again, if you were looking overhead at this, you would say, I think I'll bet on the guys that have all the troops, right? Not this couple little bands of guys that are here and there. <laughs> One guy said, how would you like to tell people, I'm from the little brigade of the goats over here. <laughs> so that would make a pretty funny-looking patch on your arm too, right? <laughs> but that's amazing to see this, right? So Israel, again, was severely outnumbered. Verse 28, then a man of God came. Oh, man, love to see this guy show up, right? And he spoke to the king of Israel, and he said, thus says the Lord. And when you're just two little flocks of goats compared to a huge army, you want to hear those words again, thus says the Lord. Because the Syrians have said, the Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore, I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now look how God reacted to their wrong ideas that they had about him. Don't think that God just looks the other way and he brushes it off when people have false ideas about him. No, God is insulted, right? I mean, how do you feel when somebody says things about you that are totally false? We don't like it when that happens either, right? And notice here that the Lord gave Ahab and Israel two victories in our passage here to teach two very important lessons. Victory number one taught the lesson that the Lord God of Israel was the true God, right? Don't waste your time on your Baal over here. Throw him out. You need to stick with the true God of Israel. Victory number two is teaching this lesson that the Lord was not limited like the false pagan gods around him. So the point was, do you want to serve the true God or a false God? 
You know, do you want to serve a powerful God who has no limitations, or do you want to serve a false, powerless God? I mean, you would think that'd be an easy test question, right? But the hardness of man's heart and the foolishness of man's heart, he's not going to go there. Verse 29, they encamped opposite each other for seven days. Man, you talk about a test of faith, right? So you're these two little groups. You're ready to fight, but you're staring at this huge army. And I'm sure it was all intimidation deal on the other side where Ben and Ad's guys are like, we're coming for you. We're coming, right? So for seven days their camp, they'll say, so it was, and on the seventh day the battle was joined, and the children of Israel killed 100,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians in one day. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Is that a huge miracle or what? I mean, we, we know Israel's probably got about the same size army here, right? And they killed 100,000 soldiers in one day. I don't know if you can even imagine the strength it would take to do something like that, right? Wow, so this is the Lord working through them. Verse 30, but the rest fled to Aphek into the city. <coughs> Excuse me, so the guys realized... We're in serious trouble here, so we're taking off. So they're running into the city. Then a wall fell on 27,000 of the men who were left. So apparently they went into this walled city thinking, we'll go in here and at least we'll be safe. <laughs> nope. The wall of the city fell on them while they get in there. 27,000 men. Must have been a pretty big place, right? A pretty big wall. And you would think, okay, we're at least safe here. Nope, not when you have challenged the God of Israel, you're not. And it says, and Ben-Hadad fled and went into the city into an inner chamber. So he wasn't next to the wall. He was hiding in some rabbit's den somewhere, right? You think about this, the wall fell on those 27,000 people and killed them all. Guess what, Syria? The Lord God of Israel is God of the hills and he's the God of the plains, and he's even God over the cities too. Wow. And people are going to be shocked at the great white throne judgment when they see that God is all-powerful and all-present and in all, everything that they never imagined. And this is the God that they never took time to get to know or to reverence while they were still alive on this earth. But at that moment, at the great white throne judgment, standing before the Lord Jesus Christ, it'll be too late for them to do anything about it. Wow. Keep praying, folks. Keep praying. God's listening. God's moving. He's working on people and their hearts. And we just pray, Lord, let their hearts just, just fall before you. Break them, whatever is necessary, that they'll hear you, Lord, and come to you. Verse 31. Then his servants said to him, Look now. We have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. And Israel did have that reputation that they didn't act like some of these pagan crazy folks out here. I mean, Assyria is, is, an arm, is the next world power that's going to be coming up here. And they're probably growing pretty strong at this point. Those folks were ruthless. I mean, they would, they would cut people's heads off and throw them at the gate 
when they conquered a place, just let everybody know, you mess with us, this is what's coming. They would skin people alive. They would take their skins and, and plaster them all over the walls of the city. I mean, they did horrible, unbelievable things to intimidate the next city that wants to, to cross them, right? Israel was not like that, you know? So these guys had heard that. They said, we've heard that the house of Israel, they're, they're merciful kings. Please, let us put sackcloth around our waist and ropes around our heads, and that would be kind of the picture of the servant, that I'm, I'm nobody. I'm willing to be led around by this rope on my head and, and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will spare your life. So they wore sackcloth around their waist, put ropes around their heads. They came to the king of Israel, and he said, your servant, Ben-Hadad, how you like that change? <laughs> the guy that was breathing down your neck and telling you how he's going to leave nothing but your dirt behind, you know. And now he says, your servant, Ben-Hadad, says, please let me live. And, and here's King Ahab. He's about to make a super bad mistake. He said, is he still alive? He is my brother. Wow. You got to realize what's, what's going on here. I mean, we look at this and say, well, he's going to try to be nice to that. Maybe that's okay. No, wait a minute. <laughs> this guy has insulted the God of Israel. We don't hear an apology here. We don't hear him saying, no, I'm, I'm so sorry. I came against your God. I was dead wrong. I, I pray you forgive me. I pray your God forgive me. It's not what he's saying. Just the, the big puppy eyes of, please let me live, you know. Yeah, so Ben Haddad, he's not thinking about this spiritually, what happened and what the Lord thinks about it, right? So verse 34, so Ben Haddad, um, I'm sorry, verse 33. Now, the men were watching closely to see whether any sign of mercy would come from him, and they quickly grasped at this word and said, you called him your brother. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's your brother, Ben Haddad. They, they jumped on that one. So he said, uh, Ahab now says, go bring him. Then Ben-Hadad came out to him, and he had him come up into the chariot. So he's allowing him to come into his very close presence here. So Ben-Hadad said to him, the cities which, which my father took from your father, because they've been fighting a long time, he said, I will restore. And you may set up marketplaces for yourself in Damascus. So you guys can come and do business, make some, some good money here in our areas. He said, as my father did in Samaria. So we're fully open to you guys coming and doing whatever. And if you think about it, this, at this point, Israel's got the upper hand. They can really do what they want to do. So this guy's offering them stuff, you know, just trying to sell it here. But we get a lesson from this. Be careful when your enemy, enemy comes bearing gifts or wanting to make a deal. Ahab made a deal here with an enemy of God. And this guy's not going away. Look forward just a little bit to chapter 22. And look down to verse 31. Now, this is the guy that's pleading for his life, and I'm going to change, I'll be a good guy, right? Now, look at chapter 22, verse 31. Now, the king of Syria, same guy, okay, later on. Verse 31, now, the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, saying, fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. They're going to come back again and again against Israel. This isn't fixing the problem. That's why God wanted this guy destroyed, because he knew if you don't, you're going to have more and more and more and more trouble down the road. The, the devil 
never keeps his part of the deal. You know? As somebody said, and Ahab here, he had no right to make a treaty with this guy because the victory belonged to the Lord, not to Ahab, right? Because look what he says here uh, at the end of that verse 34. Ahab said, I will send you away with this treaty. So he made a treaty with him and sent him away. And the treaty didn't mean anything to the king of Syria. That's why we looked at later on, he came back anyway. Verse 35. Now a certain man of the sons of the prophets, and this, the sons of the prophets were a group of guys that were being trained here. They had started a school of the prophets, and they were training these young guys to follow the Lord. So one of these guys said to his neighbor, who probably was also one of the sons of the prophet. I mean, they're right there together. And he said this, by the word of the Lord. So I let him know, this is from the Lord, brother. And he said, strike me, please. And the man refused to strike him. Then he said to him, because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. God said, do this, and you said no. He said, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, surely, as soon as you depart from me, a lion shall kill you. And as soon as he left him, a lion found him and killed him. Okay? Was this of the Lord? Yes, this was of the Lord. Now, this is a good warning to us. We've got to be careful thinking, God would never do anything like that. God is not in our way of thinking. God has reasons for stuff we don't even come close to understanding, you know? I mean, we've got to be careful. We've got to stick with what God says in his word. Did he say this is a command from the Lord? Yes. Did he say because you disobeyed the command, this is going to happen to you? Yes. Did it happen to him? Yes. That's what the word says, okay? Because I know people would say, well, God would never tell a guy to kill his son, right? He would never do that. God is not like that. Read the story of Abraham. God had a reason for everything he did, right? And we've got to be really careful making our judgments on God if we're not checking this out with what the word really says. So this really did happen, and it was of the Lord here, okay? So this prophet should have obeyed. Verse 37, he found another man, and he said, strike me, please. So the man struck him, inflicting a wound. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> then the prophet departed and waited for the king by the road and disguised himself with a bandage over his eyes. So there was a plan going on here. The Lord had told this prophet, I want you to look like you've been, you've been in battle. So you need to be bleeding a little bit, okay? So he needed this guy to strike him so he would do that. And then he's going to put a bandage over his eyes and kind of disguise his face a little bit here because he doesn't want the king to see who it is. So verse 39, now as the king passed by, this guy cries out to the king and he said, she's talking to Ahab here, your servant went out into the midst of the battle. And there a man came over and brought a man to me and he said, guard this man. So this is a prisoner. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life or else you shall pay a talent of silver, which was, I think somebody said like 70 pounds. Okay, that's a lot of money, right? You don't want to do this. You want to do your job. So while your servant was busy here and there during the battle, right, he's gone. So I'm doing other stuff. And I turn around and the guy's not there anymore. Then the king of Israel said to him, so shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. So this, this prophet here, under the direction of the Lord, he kind of gives a parable to King Ahab and this has given King Ahab a chance to make a judgment call on the story. But, like a parable, he doesn't realize that he's making a judgment call against himself. 
And that's what parables were designed to do. That's why Jesus used the parables to tell them a story and say, what do you think about it? And they said, well, that guy's guilty. And then Jesus said, good, because I'm talking about you. You know, let the leaders know you made the right decision, the right judgment, but you're the guy. You just made that against yourself. Right, so the Lord did that. He used that with King David, too, and he sent Nathan. Verse 41, and he hastened now, after the, after the king said this, the guy rips the bandage off of his eyes. He said he hastened to take the bandage away from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. So it's good that he disguised himself because the king did see, you're one of the prophets. I know who you are. So verse 32, then he said to him, thus says the Lord. Now this one you don't want to hear. Right? I mean, this is a scary one when you have messed up and you, were, you should have known better than to do this. It says, thus says the Lord, because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life and your people for his people. And I think all the Lord had to do was let this king come back and whoop up on him some more, right? I mean... You didn't, you didn't do what I told you to do. King Saul had that same problem, right? The Lord told him to destroy the king of uh, the Agagites there, and he thought he had a better idea than God, and he paid for that price too. So you think about this, this picture. You don't want to make a deal with the devil and go against God, or you'll get the same punishment as the devil. And somebody said this, when we think the battle is over, because he had already won, right? then that's what we need to be very careful. Because if we let our guard down at that point, we could suffer a great loss. Look at verse 43. So the king of Israel went to his house sullen and displeased. And the word sullen means quiet, uh, spitefully quiet. So I see him as kind of muttering to himself like, man, I can't believe that. Who does God think he is, you know, and stuff. So he's not happy. You know, and it says that he came to Samaria. We're going to see this is kind of something he does because later on in the next passage we see him the same way. So he left mad after this happened to him, but he did not repent. You know, confession and repentance could have set him free, but he chose to remain in the darkness of his rebellion against God. And even after all the Lord did to try and reach him, a number of times. But like I said, we get encouraged from this passage because the Lord goes after people, even when they don't deserve it, even when they don't ask for it, all right? But we're asking it as we pray, Lord, please go after these people. Please continue to send the prophets to them. Please continue to, to go to that last breath to bring them to Christ. Let's pray right now. Father, we thank you for your word of truth. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who speaks this into our heart and lets us know these words are true. And Lord, when we feel your conviction, we know you're, you're correcting us because you love us. And Lord, would you strengthen us and encourage us, you know, that we're, we're being called to stand for you. Father, help us to be strong in these last days. Help us to speak the truth and love to people. But Lord, give us that boldness to be able to speak the truth. Let us not back off and not hold anything back that they need to hear. And Lord, we know you're such a merciful God. So Lord, the people that are on our heart, the ones who've been praying for, we continually lift them before you because we know you love them and you're going after them and you'd love to show mercy to them. So Lord, please keep going. Please do what it takes to bring these people to yourself. 
Lord, we love you and we thank you and we give you back all the praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen.